This is an original branded podcast produced in collaboration with Vertzilla. Tonight I'm proposing $1.2 billion in research funding so that America can lead the world in developing clean, hydrogen-powered automobiles. A simple chemical reaction between hydrogen and oxygen generates energy, which can be used to power a car, producing only water, not exhaust fumes. In 2003, President George W. Bush turned his attention to hydrogen. He directed nearly a billion and a half dollars to fuel cell vehicles and fueling stations. The goal? Bush wanted a child born in 2003 to be driving her first car powered by hydrogen. That child would be 17 now, and she would very likely be driving a car fueled by gas or electricity, not hydrogen. It's a stark reminder that the promise of the hydrogen economy has not been realized. Um, It hasn't proven to be uh, cost-competitive. There has been challenges there. Ben Gallagher is a senior analyst at Wood McKenzie. He's been following solar for a decade. Ben recently started tracking the green hydrogen market. That's hydrogen produced by renewables. Hydrogen is mostly produced from natural gas, and it's used for ammonia production, oil refining, and industrial purposes. But green hydrogen hasn't proven competitive for fuel cell vehicles, stationary power, or feedstock for synthetic fuels. So Ben didn't expect a lot of action. But that changed fast. So I've heard about the the theoretical potential of hydrogen for a while. The potential there doesn't really surprise or, or shock me. What is surprising me is since I started to research this and how, how quickly things have changed in just a few months. Suddenly, a lot of big companies are looking to make hydrogen from excess wind and solar. That is really what's, what's so surprising to me. Um, not really the technical potential, but that there's sort of signposts, signals, whatever sort of buzzword you want to use that give me some indications that this is much more real than something that someone just kind of pulled out of thin air. Wind and solar are extremely cheap, and they're starting to saturate grids. As more countries try to manage all those renewables, they're seriously reconsidering hydrogen production as a form of storage. New large-scale green hydrogen plants are getting built around the world. But exactly how this hydrogen will fit into the fast-changing electricity system is still a question. Even BP, who has made a commitment to uh, major decarbonization um, and to incorporate hydrogen uh, more so into their product portfolio, they don't know what the trajectory of this is going to be. Um, So the thing that's really interesting to me is this giant gap between the momentum, the commitment uh, towards hydrogen, towards uh, synthetic fuels, to lower lower carbon fuels. So everyone in this sort of community is is trying their their best to look at other technologies um, over the past few years, which have scaled up and reduced costs, and figure out okay, how is that applicable here? Um, and we don't really know that yet. In this episode, how a resource like hydrogen fits into the renewable grid. This is the third and final installment of our series produced in collaboration with Vertzilla. We're exploring how we can get to 100% renewable energy. We're looking specifically at how to use green hydrogen to create renewable fuels and burn those fuels to create the fully renewable electricity system. 
There's some uncertainty about how exactly this market will evolve. But experts like Mahdi Rautkivi are confident that renewable fuels are going to become a vital solution. People think that, okay, this is something that, that we will have ready by 2050 or, or 2040 because we need to wait something. We need to wait some kind of a technological um, development, but that's, that's not the case. All the technologies are there. Matt is the director of business development and strategy at Fritzilla. We spoke with him about the mix of technologies it will take to meet our 100% renewable energy goals. We have cheap renewable electricity. We have energy storage solutions, uh, like the lithium-ion storage that, that, are, that are needed. We have a flexible generation that is needed, needed when the sun is not shining or the wind is not blowing for a couple of days. And then we have the, the, the capability to, to provide those synthetic fuels. So, uh, so that um, instead of trying to do everything with, um, with, with batteries and, and renewable elect- electricity, we need an optimum mix to do this. And, uh, and, and that combines then a lot of renewable electricity, a lot of energy storage and thermal generation that is using synthetic fuels. And those fuels are, are made from that uh, renewable energy or electricity. And so everything is there. And I think that the, it really depends that how fast the transition then takes place, that okay, that how fast we start to implement these and implement these and take these into the into the use. But um, from a techn- technological perspective and from the engineering perspective, everything is there. We don't we don't need to wait for that. We just need to need to start moving and and, and make the plans what how how what is the optimum path or optimal path to the to the hundred percent renewable future. So I'm going to hone in a little bit on the synthetic fuels, or rather carbon neutral fuels. And do we have the kinds of carbon neutral fuels needed to provide that last both flexible and reliable and cost effective missing piece in our power systems today? Once again, for today's power system, what, what, what we have today, I, um, these um, synthetic fuels, they they don't really have a role there. But when we when we look to the future systems and we, when we really want to decarbonize the, the whole electricity system, absolutely the synthetic fuels will play a key role. And uh, at least from two different perspectives. First of all, they will provide the last 10-15% of the electricity that we need to convert from the fossil fuels to the renewable, renewable uh, electricity. And that's just, once again, it's way more cost-efficient way to do it with uh, with synthetic fuels than um, than trying trying to cope without uh, synthetic fuels and thermal capacity. And the second one is that what this technology provides or this piece of the future system provides is the flexibility. So once again, that when we have um, excess electricity available, instead of um, curtailing it or wasting that, we are going to put it through the this synthetic uh, fuels process and, and convert the electricity to fuels that we can store and use it later. So it provides also flexibility to the electricity system, which is one of the components that uh, is, is needed more and more when we are moving to, towards high high renewable renewable electricity systems. And there are a few different of these synthetic fuels that are being experimented with out there. What are the ones that you think show the most promise? Well. That's a that's a question that uh, I think that from the, once again, if you look at from the fuels perspective, the easiest one to produce that we we have produced already here within Vertsila is, is uh, synthetic methane, so natural gas, and it, because it's just easy to easy to produce by combining hydrogen 
and, and, and carbon dioxide. But then the question is that what is the fuel that will come first in the large scale? And, and there I would say that actually it's um, either diesel, synthetic diesel or synthetic gasoline. And the reason there is that um, if we produce these and then make or there's a market market available for these already today where customers are willing to pay the premium. So when we are close to the end consumer, there is a, they are willing to pay for the, for the premium for these fuels. And, and that's why I think that uh, it will come to these sectors first. And, uh, and we start to see the development of the synthetic fuels first in the, in the transportation sector, so diesel and, and, and gasoline. And that will be followed then by kerosene that is used in the aviation, where once again, people are willing to pay that uh, extra 10 bucks for the, for the flight tickets that, uh, that they, can, they can use then synthetic fuels, fuels that um, it's not so big, big part of the overall cost, what is the fuel cost in, in that, that business. So instead of looking at what is the pr- most promising one, I would say that, that, that when we're going to see and where we're going to see the first ones. And uh, so um, in the energy sector, the, the synthetic methane is definitely one that will play, play a big role. But, uh, but then that what, what are in overall synthetic fuels sector will be the, the diesel and, and gasoline. Are these fuels available at a scale and a price where they can be used by a large system like aviation today? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. They are not there today. That's for for sure because um, it's kind of same thing that that with uh, with wind or solar power in the 1980s when they were really expensive and and that's why we needed um, uh, subsidies and political will to push push for this. But uh, we know that w- what is the cost level already today, and 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 how by uh, economy of scale we are able to push down the down the price, and they will be competitive. Um, Will they be as cheap as, as fossil fuels today? Uh, for example, this, if you compare the natural gas prices today in the U.S. and uh, to what, what will be the synthetic methane in the, in, in the future, I doubt that we ever reach that level, that it will be just if you compare those um, like that. But uh, on the other hand, then, that uh, what will be the role of these fuels? So um, once again, that the amounts of synthetic uh, methane what what is needed in the future system will be so much smaller than what we see today uh, the gas power plants will not run base load so they are not running 24/7 they are only running 8 to 10% per year and provide that that critical power during those times what do you think will be the tipping point for these new technologies and fuels well if if you look now at the transportation sector and and take um, Europe as an example and and there is a there is a target and legislation already actually in place called Red Two uh, that defines that nowadays here in Europe we need to have a 10% of our 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 gasoline needs to come from the renewable sources and that's a basically bioethanol that that is put there same thing with the diesel and now they are going to increase that to 30% and that's already once again uh, agreed that by 2030 it, uh, the content for renewable uh, renewable fuel needs to be 30% 30% and and it's just it's a fact that it can't be produced uh, by from biomass or or from palm oil or or that kind of sources that it needs to come from uh, from some other sources and uh, there the the large scale production is actually driven by this legislation and the price of the of the renewable fuels that are produced today. And uh, 
it's actually interesting discussion when when we look when we then see that okay what is the price today for those renewable liquid fuels that we see in the market like biodiesel or or biogasoline and if we compare with today's prices uh, that what would be the cost of uh, synthetic gasoline compared to these renewable fuels it's actually pretty close already today and uh, in 2030 I'm absolutely sure that it will be it will be lower or the same level level with than with these renewable renewable fuels fuels and um, and that's a tipping point so um, then we there is a case that uh, okay is set by the by the regulation and uh, a regulation that uh, that we want to have a content a renewable content as high as 30% in EU we need that fuel coming from somewhere and what is the cheapest source for for that and uh, and then we're going to see a large scale development in this sector sector because um, the market is there the business case is there and uh, and what we what, what we just need is a lot of the cheap renewable electricity that feeds these these systems so uh, that's kind of a, will be the large scale tipping point uh, and before that we're going to see already in the smaller scale, of course, pilot plants and 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 uh, smaller installation for the utilities in the different different countries because they want to experiment this and they want to use the synthetic fuels to the some special application where where the volumes are not so high, and and that will be naturally then part of the part of their 100% renewable path. But um, from the large-scale installa- installation, I see that, um, and, and the volumes, I'm pretty sure that the transportation sector will be will be driving that. And so that's a lot of talk about the future. And I'm kind of curious, do you know of any examples that are currently using any of these newer carbon-neutral fuels? Yes, and, and we actually have a... A couple of customers, a couple of customers there also that the first some are that we are willing to pay the premium uh, for them for their brand value, but also we actually just actually last week we we started a project can't actually say the name of the customer, but it's here in Europe, and and they defined already within their strategy that they want to be um, uh, they they want to decarbonize so and get rid of fossil fuels by 2025. And it's a huge, huge task for them because they are still using coal uh, to produce electricity. So they're going to replace their coal plants. But um, then they they came came to conclusion, as we have come come to the same conclusion, that you still need some thermal capacity. You need gas still in the future. And now they want to replace that um, um, fossil fuel, uh, fossil gas in their energy system by 2025. So. Uh, Really happy to see that actually these first um, installations start to uh, start to happen, and uh, and and especially in the energy sector. Then, if you look just the fuel production or synthetic methanol, for example, production, there are already facilities in Iceland, in the U.S., in Europe that are producing synthetic methanol with a pretty competitive price. And and then what I mentioned about the synthetic gasoline and diesel production that that's something also that that is all already there are several development development and project developing that but the energy sector stuff is the is the one that has been taken for a while uh, but now as uh, as mentioned that um, already today we we see concrete projects and it's it's absolutely fantastic to see when we look go through those numbers and the, the business case together with the customers and it's it's actually Make, makes a 
financial sense already today. So then you know that um, that if if that's the case today, in five years time, in ten years time, it it makes way more sense because of the economy of scale. So uh, it's pretty easy to be be in this this position now and say that it, actually it's going to happen happen. And and these early examples are the ones that you need to 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 push things forward and, and show example and and lead by example. So um, those are encouraging stuff. What do you think the next big challenge is? Well, what is the next big challenge? I think the, the, the climate change is so big challenge. It's so massive that it will take all the energy, all the focus for the, for the upcoming years and decades. And of course, it's, it will go with different pace in, in the different countries. So, uh, so it's, not, it's not something that and there is not a silver bullet that will fits, to, fits to everything, everybody and, and, and will, will solve the things uh, throughout the world. So uh, this will take time. It will take effort, a lot of effort. But um, I, I, I see that the things are starting to be pretty clear uh, for the electricity sector side. That adding renewables, how to plan those optimal system systems. I think that really the big thing there and a big movement will be the, related to these synthetic fuels. That how the, how those gonna use in the aviation and. And, and the marine industry and how we're going to see the integration of these sectors that that electricity is raw materials and how that's used in the refineries and how that's used in the in the end product so that will be a really interesting interesting journey to to watch and and analyze because it will change the fundamentals and the fundamentals of the, the one of the largest companies on earth and uh, and definitely will will change the whole energy landscape in the in the, in the in the in the future and and in the upcoming years. Mati, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been great. Thank you, Lisa. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to an episode produced by Green Tech Media Creative Strategies in collaboration with Vertzilla. Vertzilla creates smart, flexible power technologies to enable a cleaner grid and put the world on a path to 100% renewable energy. They're helping clients worldwide meet their clean energy goals in an efficient and cost-effective way. To learn more about Mapti's vision of the technologies and fuels of the future, and to hear the other two episodes in this series, follow the links in the show notes. <laughs>